Well, again, good morning. Good morning. My name is George Davis. Thank you for joining us, whether in person or online. It's good to see you this morning here at the Hershey Free Church. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to invite you to join with me in turning to 2 Thessalonians in the New Testament, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And as you're turning there, I I wanted to highlight uh, really two prayer requests for this week for our church family. Uh, First of all, our our next mission team has just departed. In fact, they're in transit to uh, BWI Airport right now. They left this morning. This team is going to Florida to help with uh, reconstruction in 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 an area heavily uh, damaged by storms. And they're working with our own denomination's crisis response team as well as a sister church in the area. So they're going to be down there this week doing all sorts of rehab and reconstruction. And so we want to pray for them, not only for their work, for their travel, but even for conversations that they may have in these neighborhoods where they are working. And we look forward to hearing how that trip goes. So that's the first thing I wanted to highlight. Secondly, uh, this weekend, our Elders and members, some of our staff are going to be meeting together Friday night and Saturday and just kind of prayerfully and strategically thinking through the next year in the life of our church. And, you know, as a, as a church, as we seek to live out our mission, we're in this season where our vision is particularly focused on how do we engage young adults and, and help continue to pass on the faith to future generations. We live at a cultural moment when it's so easy to walk away or it's become more difficult to even consider Christianity. So we're wanting to engage this moment well. So our our leadership is going to be just prayerfully thinking through some next steps for us over the course of this year. And we would appreciate your prayers. Look forward to talking to you later on this year about some steps we're going to be taking. But we would appreciate your prayers this weekend for that as well. So even now, would you uh, join me in prayer about these two these two themes in the life of our church. So, Father, as, our, as, a, as our, our friends are traveling to Florida, we thank you for their willingness to serve. We thank you for their skills that are going to be put to use this week. And, and we pray not only for safety and travel, but we, we pray for the work that they're going to have, for the opportunity to, to really be an encouragement in an area that has been hit and devastated Uh, by storms, and we pray for their conversations that they may have with people over the week, just that they can be people that are living out the good news of Jesus Christ in word and in deed. And likewise, even as they're traveling, I pray for uh, members of our staff, our elders, who will be meeting this weekend, and as as we seek to really uh, continue to take steps of obedience in living out our vision and mission, may you give us clarity and direction and and a sense of your presence with us. So we commit these, these issues, these themes this week to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as I said a moment ago, uh, join with me in turning to Second Thessalonians. If you're new with us this week or you're joining us online for the first time, we're in this series uh, called Live This Book. And in this part of Live This Book, we're, we're doing a survey through the letters uh, written by Paul the Apostle. And we're just taking one or two weeks with each of the letters to look at at one issue or topic that the apostle was addressing in these issues. As you know, Paul was an influential leader in the early Christian movement, and as churches are started, he has correspondence with different early church communities and early church leaders. And in these letters, he's addressing addressing questions, he's addressing issues of conflict, and he's giving ongoing direction as to how Christians are really to live out their new identity as followers 
followers of Jesus. And, and in doing so, he ultimately addresses a variety of topics, and we're just dipping into different topics as we go through this series. Uh, so this morning, we have come to uh, the second letter that Paul writes to the Thessalonian church. You've probably heard that name before, but just to give you a geographic orientation, let me just show you this map. And you'll see Thessalonica is lo- uh, located in the northern part of Greece. In Acts chapter 17, we read that Paul visits this community. He's communicating, preaching the gospel. His visit caused quite a stir. But nonetheless, people become followers of Jesus. A church is started. And sometime after that church was started, Paul sends these two letters back, giving the church additional instruction in addressing certain themes uh, that needed to be addressed in the life of this church. And interestingly, and you may find this really interesting, but interestingly, one of the topics he addresses in this letter is the topic of work. Now, I realize I think for some people, it's kind of easy to live our lives in compartments, right? I think even for some, there's kind of, there's kind of that church Christian compartment, and you know, I go to church on Sunday, it's encouraging, I'm challenged, and, and, and I kind of had that experience on Sunday, but Sometimes for us, it's like that's one bucket and we get to the beginning of the week and whatever our responsibilities look like, whatever our work looks like, we're now living out of a different bucket and sometimes the two really don't intersect. But see, Paul wanted us to think differently because really his heartbeat in all of his letters, I mean, he's addressing a variety of situations, but his heartbeat is always, man, I want to encourage you. I want to equip you to embrace following Jesus as a way of life. And that just, that hits on every part of who you are and every part of your responsibilities, including your work. And so uh, we're going to look at this passage where he addresses this topic um, this morning in 2 Thessalonians. And I need to be upfront. He's, he's not going to give us an exhaustive teaching about how we're to think about our work and our approach to our jobs but he is warning us against one danger, and we're going we're to talk about that. Just see the danger that he's warning against uh, uh, for us. And we begin to see that he starts really dealing with this topic in verse 6 of chapter 3. And so here's how that section begins. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we commend you, or we command you, right? This is heavy. We command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle, or you can translate that lazy, and disruptive, and does not live according to to the teaching you receive from us. Wow. That's pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? So what's going on here? What, what is the problem in how some of these people are kind of engaging that work, their work that is getting Paul so upset? Well, to answer that, let's, let's kind of come back to the section. Let's read the entire, let's read the entire section. So, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle or lazy and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. Now notice, now he's providing his own life as a contrast to what these other people are doing. So here's our example. We were not idle or lazy when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we did not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. 
For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. Now, here's the, so he's already talked to them previously about how to think about work as followers of Jesus. And here was, the, here was part of what he taught. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle or lazy and disruptive. They're not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Now notice this. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. And we'll come back to that in a moment. Yet do not regard them as the enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Wow, that's pretty heavy, isn't it? So let's see if we can start to put the pieces together of what's going on here. Let me just highlight a couple of the clues of what we just read. So notice a couple of things that Paul said in terms of what's the problem here. Notice, first of all, twice he describes them as idle or lazy and disruptive. Uh, Furthermore, he provides himself as an example, and, and it's an intended contrast to what these other people are doing. And here's what he says. We did not eat anyone's food without paying for it. So the implication is <laughs> that's exactly what these other people have done, right? Thirdly, notice again the rule that he has given them in his teaching. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Now notice, it's not the one who can't find a job. It's not the one who is unable. It's, it's, this is, he's talking about people who are willing to work, or, or, or excuse me, who are able to work but are unwilling to work. And then finally, notice he talks and describes them as busybodies, and we'll come back to that in a moment as well. So as we start to put the pieces together of what's, what's the problem that Paul is addressing here, I think it becomes clear. The bottom line is there's some people in this church that simply aren't willing to work. They need to be working to provide for themselves, for their families, but they are, now notice this, unwilling Again, it's not about people who are unable, people who can't find work. These people are consciously unwilling to work. Consequently, Paul describes them as idle, lazy, and busybodies. Now, so this was a situation, and let's see if we can understand it a little more deeply. Why were these people, why were these people acting this way? That question has generated a lot of debate, and this is, this is one of the challenges of reading letters in the New Testament, because we have to acknowledge, in essence, we're, we're only listening to one side of the conversation, and so it, sometimes it can be challenging to try to piece together what's going on at the other end. And here are just a couple of possibilities. First of all, it is possible that, that some people in the church have gotten so interested, so intrigued by the idea of Christ coming again, that they've, they've stopped working, right? I mean, it's like, if they, I think it's clear for some in the early church, they thought this was just going to happen very soon. And if, you know, if Christ is coming back, why do we need to work? And so it's possible that some people have kind of quit their jobs, they've stopped working somehow, and they're now relying on the goodwill of other people in the church. Secondly, and this, this, these two actually could be related, Secondly, I think it's, it's quite possible that what we have going on in this church community is an example of an ancient cultural practice known as patronage. And to explain that, let me tell you a story that involves this guy. 
So a few years ago, our family was visiting friends in the Dominican Republic. And while we were there, our friends graciously took us to a very nice, nice beach in that country. We were sitting in chairs along the beach, and there, you know, there were several rows of chairs in this nice beach. We were really enjoying it. And while we were sitting there, a group of guys came and sat in front of us. And right in the middle of that group was this guy. This is Carl Lewis, uh, nine-time Olympic gold medalist who won Olympic gold over the course of four different Olympic games. And it was fascinating because these guys sit down. I recognize him, and it's like I look around, and it's like nobody else knows who that guy is. So I leaned over to one of our sons, and I said, would you like to meet an Olympic gold medalist? He looks at me like I'm crazy. I grab his arm, and I just say, come on. And so we walked around, and, and Mr. Lewis could not have been more gracious. We had, you know, a brief conversation, but he was willing to talk to us. So it was, it was really a nice moment with my kids getting to meet an Olympic gold medalist. But here's what I want you to notice about that scene. What I want you to notice is, I don't know how else to describe it, but what I experienced was this. Carl Lewis had an entourage. There were people with him. I don't know if they were just friends. I don't know if they were assistants. I don't know if they were employees. But he had his people. That's true today with people that are influential and wealthy. We kind of expect that. And that was true in the ancient world as well. And one of the ways that played out was in a pattern, a social way of interacting known as patronage. And here's the way patronage worked in the ancient world in cities like Thessalonica. First of all, you had a wealthy or influential person, and these could be men or women, and they were patrons. And the entourage were people known as clients. And you have to understand, in the ancient world, you can could, you could actually read guidance on what these relationships are to look like and how you're to interact if you are a client, you're part of the entourage, what that means. And one of the things that was expected of you if you were a client to a wealthy patron was this. You would show up at his home every morning, and you would greet him. How are you? You're looking good today. Oh, that, to- that really brings out your eyes, right? And you were kind of, you were, oh, you were supported. Is there anything I can do for you today? Tell us about your business we, so we can talk to other people about it. And the expectation was you would kind of greet them, you know, you would be there to help them if needed, but the expectation was also that you would be out in the community, you would be talking up their work, their achievements, whether true or not, and you would kind of be their advocates in the community, and, and you would really be social influencers on behalf of the patron. And in response, they would give you food and money. They would pay your bills. And because these people were out in the community, these clients were out in the community always talking up their patron, interestingly, you know what they were sometimes called? Busybodies. Which is exactly what you read in 2 Thessalonians. So I think it's possible that there are people in the church that this is kind of what they're doing. And, And one way to think about it is this. They've kind of figured out a shortcut in the system. Right? Here's how we get our bills paid without working hard. Uh, we, you know, we work the angles. And Paul is, Paul is saying don't do that. And I think also implied here is that to the affluent members of the church, Paul is explaining to them this is a broken system that you don't need to be a part of. 
having said that, he is attuned to the fact that some people really have needs, and as a church, you need to step into those situations. That's what he's getting at when he says, don't, don't grow weary in doing good. But he's saying, look, if you're not willing to work, if you're kind of just looking for the, if you're just playing the angles, you're, you figured out the shortcut, you need to stop it. This week, as I was kind of talking about this passage with, with other people, <laughs> Uh, I asked this question, you know, I said, look, this is kind of an ancient practice, but are are there similar things people can do today in the workplace? Or are there similar ways we sometimes take shortcuts in in our work and take shortcuts in our areas of responsibility? (laughs) And you know what we... Well, you know what we came up with? You know what topped our list? I'll just give you the top item on our list as we talked about. What topped our list was this, group projects. Right? You remember? I mean, some of you are in school. Maybe you remember that in school. You remember the reality. You got it. We're going to do the group project. The teacher says, hey, you're all going to get the same grade. And somebody in the group figures out, well, I'm just going to let everybody else do the work. And maybe you're the one that kind of had to carry the load because, you, you know, you wanted a good grade, so you're kind of doing the, and, you know, you get to the presentation day and everybody gets up and this kid just wings it and gets the same grade as you did. Some of you would say you have experienced that in the workplace as well, not just in the school environment. You've been part of a team, and, you know, there have been maybe one or two members of the team. They're just not pulling their weight. They're not uh, uh, taking hold of their responsibility. They're simply relying on the diligence of other people, and maybe you've seen that in the workplace. Interestingly, over the last couple of years, there's been this fascinating phrase that has entered the English language, the phrase, quiet quitting. Have you heard this? Quiet quitting. The idea of figuring out kind of the bare minimum of what you need to do in your job. Now, let's be honest. Given all that we've experienced over the last few years and and given the disruptions that some of you experienced in your workplace and, and just the new challenges, it's easy to understand how somebody can come to that point of quiet quitting. And yet, if that's where you're at, if that's where you're at right now, I think Paul is... Paul is challenging us to think differently about our work. So what, what exactly then, what exactly then does he want us to do? Right? He's, 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 he's raising this issue. And, and notice, it's like I command you. I mean, there are moments in Paul's letters where he, it feels like he's, he's like, look, stop it. <laughs> and he's looking at these people that they're working the ankles. They're not working hard. They're relying on the other people. He's like, look. Don't do that. And you're like, okay, Paul, then, then what, what are you encouraging us to do? It, we know, okay, if that's the problem, what's, what's the goal? And I think in a word, Paul is saying this. I, I want you to engage your work, your responsibilities, with a sense of responsibility. Whatever your task look like, I want you to be responsible in that. Now, he's not talking about being a workaholic. He's not talking about idolizing our work. But I think he is talking about developing a sense of responsibility. In other words, he's, look, he's, again, he's like, I don't want you to just live your life in buckets. There's a Sunday bucket, you know, the church, the God bucket. Then there's everything else. I want your entire life to be interconnected, and to be rooted as a follower of Jesus. And he says, and that means I want you to engage your, I want you to engage your responsibilities well. Now I think as 
as Paul is making this point, I think underlying his thinking is the recognition that as humans, God has designed us to work. I mean, let's go back and go back to the opening pages in the biblical storyline. And as the author of Genesis describes kind of God's created design, look at, look at these statements from the early part of Genesis, right? Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and decrease in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground, right? There's, a, there's responsibility that is woven into creation. There's a responsibility that is woven into being human. And we continue. One statement from Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. So I think in a real sense, whether you realize it or not, to be human is to be designed by the one who has called us to make a contribution, who has called us to work. Now, this is going to look differently in each of our lives. It looks differently in different seasons of our lives, but we, this, this is what Paul understands. Tragically, I was in a conversation recently with someone, and we were talking about work stuff, and she just looked at me at one point in the conversation and just said, you know, my job just doesn't matter. And I realize how we, we can get to that point. Maybe that's a point. Maybe you say that some days too. I get it. But Paul's like, no. You've been created in God's image. In your own way, you have, you have a role to play. You have a contribution to make. And likewise, building on this understanding of, of God's design, Paul has this awareness that as followers of Jesus, we are, to, we are really to embrace our responsibilities it's an act of worship. I mean, Paul says, whatever you do, do it with all your heart as working for the Lord. In other words, these, these areas of our responsibilities really become areas where we can live out obedience to God. So with that in mind, let me just ask you this question. What does it look like for you to engage your responsibilities well. What does it look like for you to engage your responsibilities well? Now again, we're, we're going to answer that differently, but I just, I just want you to mull over that, and I'll come back to that in a moment. But just think about what does it look like for me to engage my responsibilities well? So here's Paul, right? He's calling out people in the church that have figured out shortcuts, and he in essence says, look, you, you guys need to stop that. Right? And he has this vision that, that as followers of Christ, that in the journey of following Jesus, we're, we're to engage our everyday responsibilities well, and that, that includes our work, whatever that looks like for you. And we're kind of like, okay, Paul, I get what you're saying, but how are we supposed to learn how to do that? You know, how, do, how are we supposed to learn how to do that? And fortunately, I think in this text, Paul also highlights resources that we have. He really highlights two things, and I, I just want to take a few moments to draw those out and draw them to your attention. First of all, uh, Paul highlights, I think, the importance of relationships. He highlights the importance of positive peer pressure. Again, notice in this passage, he gives himself as an example, and, and the goal is not that he's trying to impress them or tell the church how great he is. The goal is, he says, look, I want you to look at my life to see what this can look like. And he talks about the fact that, right, he, 
He cho- he's worked hard. He's labored hard. And I think what he is communicating here is as he came into Thessalonica, he intentionally chose not to seek out a wealthy patron, which teachers often did, by the way. Instead, he chose to work with his own hands as a tent maker. So Paul is saying, look, I've, I've given you an example. And he, he really wants us to understand the importance of of really seeing the Christian life in the lives of other people. We talked about this last week as Nick led us in looking at 1 Thessalonians, and this theme of example is an important theme that recurs throughout Paul's letters. So he wants us to understand, I think he would argue that, you know, the relationships we have at church, our church community, our church family, needs to be a place where we're kind of learning from the examples of other people in terms of how they engage their responsibilities and what it looks like. So first of all, in talking about positive peer pressure, he talks about the value of examples. Secondly, he talks about the importance of consequences. Let me read the latter part of this paragraph to you one more time. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed, yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Now, I realize when we, we read that theme of shame, and the, it almost feels like he's saying you need to shame other people that can set off all sorts of alarm bells. It is important to note that, that this theme of shame occurs at various points in Paul's letters. And I do think he is somewhat aware of what we might describe in contemporary terms as toxic shame. He gets that. And there's a particular term he uses for that in kind of negative context. But what he's talking about here is really what we might describe as positive peer pressure. He's saying, look, I want you and your relationships to be the people that are willing at times to ask hard questions when somebody's going off the rails and really maybe challenge them if you need to. I want them to experience the consequences of the poor choices that they make. Yet even then, don't treat them as an enemy, but treat them as a fellow believer. So Paul says, first of all, look, in, in, in kind of learning to engage your responsibilities well, there's the importance of, of, of the relationships in your life and particularly your relationships in the life of the church. And we, we believe that as well. So I would just remind you that in different ways we want to provide opportunities for you to get connected to build relationships in the life of this church. And even in a few weeks we'll be highlighting an opportunity for you to kind of try out a small group, which we call Live, Love, Lead groups. You don't have to make a long-term commitment, but it is an opportunity to get to know other people because, again, that's Paul's expectation that we're doing this life together. So Paul says one of the resources that we should have in our lives entails relationships, positive peer pressure. But then there's a second thing that I think occurs in this passage, and I would describe it as this. It's, It's a particular perspective that we need to have on life. And you actually see this in the previous paragraph, because in the previous paragraph, before Paul starts to talk about these work issues, he closes the previous paragraph with a prayer. And that prayer sets up, it sets the context for everything that he says about work. And here's here's that prayer in verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Now let me just, let me just, kind of explain this verse to you by highlighting a couple of things. First of all, Paul says this. He's saying, may the Lord direct your heart. This is how I'm praying. 
Before I'm going to give you this instruction about work, here's how I'm praying for it. I'm praying that you're going to develop a particular perspective. I'm praying that God's going to direct your heart. And the language Paul uses here almost communicates this. It almost communicates the idea of in a world where there's so many things that can influence how you approach life, how you engage your responsibilities, how you make priorities, in a world where you have so many different choices on how you're to think about life, here's how I'm praying that God would direct your heart, that God would be at work at the very core of who you are. I pray at the very core of who you are, you're going to be influenced by two things. First of all, I pray you're going to be influenced by God's love, and secondly, by the endurance of Christ. Now, let's just think about those two things for a moment. First, he says, I want you you to be deeply rooted in, in God's love. And I think, among other things, he's saying, look, I want you to be deeply rooted in the gospel. I want you to know that your identity is now found in Jesus Christ. It's not found in your work. It's not found in your resume. It's not found in your achievement. Your identity is rooted in Jesus Christ. So if you're not a follower of Christ here, please understand this message isn't just you need to learn to work hard. This message is about learning to follow Christ and the invitation to follow him, to experience his new life is an invitation that even today is being made to you. So Paul says, look, I want you to be deeply rooted in the gospel. I want you to be deeply rooted in the love of God. But as you're deeply rooted in God's love, I also want you to be rooted in the reality of Christ's endurance. And by that he means this. You have been called to follow the one who endured hardship and difficulty on your behalf. Even to the point of death. And he did that to fulfill his mission and calling. You have been called to follow him. (laughs) And that means, at different times and different ways, living out your identity as a follower of Jesus will involve discipline. It will involve hard choices. It will involve avoiding shortcuts when there are easier options available. Following in the footsteps of Jesus means taking our responsibilities seriously. And that's what Paul is praying for. And of course, the the Thessalonians were already learning that because there are a couple of references to their own endurance in these letters because they, they were experiencing persecution as they became followers of Jesus. And so Paul is saying, look, I want you to be rude. I want you to understand God's love. And and I think when we understand God's love, that that prevents us from making an idol out of our work or becoming workaholics. I want you to be rooted that this this is your true identity. This is who you are. But even as you understand that, I also want you to understand you've been called to follow the one who sacrificed. and experienced hardship on your behalf, and that, that will be your journey as well, and that will involve, it will involve at times hard work and discipline, and a willingness not simply to play the angles or always look for the shortcut. So here's what Paul says, look, I, I don't want you, I don't want you to just bucket your life. I want who you are as a follower of Jesus to influence what, what takes place during the rest of the week for you. So I want you to embrace your responsibilities well, and that means I want you to be part of a church community where you're seeing good examples, and I want you to develop a certain mindset that is rooted in the good news, rooted in the love of Christ, but is deeply aware as well of the endurance of Jesus and the fact that you are now following him. That's what Paul's getting at. Now, having said that, very quickly, let me just kind of speak to one group of us here. 
let me just take just a couple of minutes to address those of us who are parents, because I think, I think this is really relevant for those of us who are parents, because isn't it the case, if you're a parent, isn't it the case that you're, you know, part of your dream, part of your desire for your kids is for them to embrace their responsibilities well, whatever that looks like. And if you resonate with that, just, again, pay attention to Paul's guidance. First of all, see the importance of Christian community for your kids. See the importance of building relationships with other people who are on this journey and and, and allowing their example and their influence to just speak into the lives of your kids. Our our oldest son got married in, in September in Seattle and and he and his bride were with us over Christmas, and so we did an open house for them here and just invited their friends and people who knew them. And, and you know, most of the people who came, most of the people who came were from our church. We had about 60 people there. Most of them who came during the night were from our church. And, you know, just speaking as a dad, I cannot tell you how appreciative I am of those of you who over the years have encouraged and kind of walked alongside and been supportive of my kids. And it was just great to see different people who've been part of my son's life and just to be aware of the ways their presence, their encouragement, their lives have just impacted his. And so as parents, let's let's just acknowledge the importance of, you know, being part of a church family, what, what role that needs to play in the life of our family and the life of our kids. Secondly, pay attention to what Paul prays for here. Just think about what it's like for us as parents to try to foster and encourage within our kids a perspective that is aware both of the deep love of God and the endurance of Jesus. Foundationally, our kids need to, they need to, they need to hear the gospel. They need to hear that they are deeply loved through the work of Jesus. In a world that so often tells them your significance, your worth is based on what you do, what you know, how many likes you get, they need to hear a different message. And as parents, we have, we have a great opportunity to do that at every stage of life, just in how we enter. They need to know the love of Jesus Christ. But they also need to know the endurance of Jesus. And then in different ways, following him will require endurance as well. It will include learning discipline and at times experiencing hardships and avoiding shortcuts because those shortcuts are always going to be available. And in saying that, let me just, again, speak very quickly to parents to say, I highlight that to warn you of two dangers that we can make as parents. So let me just just outline these two dangers and just kind of challenge you to think through these. Here are two dangers that we can make as parents and kind of seeking to foster this perspective in our kids. First of all, I think there's the danger of we can highlight one dimension of this but not the other. The truth is, as parents, we can be those people who say, you know what, you need to learn to, you need to learn the ethic of hard work. You need to learn discipline. You need to work on your homework and getting your grades. And we have all these visions of how hardworking they're going to be. And we, you know, and, and of course, developing that work ethic is important and learning discipline is important, but we can do it in such a way that somehow it's never framed within the gospel. It's not deeply rooted in the, the love of Jesus Christ. 
On the other hand, we can be parents that, and sometimes what happens is parents grow up in this kind of environment where, you know, I, was, I learned a hard work ethic, but I didn't really know I was loved, so we swing the pendulum the other way, and I'm going to love my kids, I'm going to do everything I can for my kids, I want them to know they're loved and encouraged and appreciated, and sometimes what that means is seeking to love them, we never allow them to experience the consequences of their poor choices. And the truth is, some of you simply need to stop bailing your kids out. Because as well-intentioned as you may be, what you are developing in them is a tendency as adults to always look for shortcuts. Because they've never had to, to learn discipline or personal responsibility. So one mistake we can make as parents is kind of emphasizing one of these without the other. And, and candidly, I think sometimes just based on background and personality, it, it's easy to do that. So I just want to challenge you. that you know, I, want, I, I want to speak love and security into my kids, but I want to, also want to challenge them and encourage them in, in developing skills and responsibility. So how are, how are you doing at both of those? So that's one mistake. Here's a second mistake very quickly that we can make, and that is this. We can make the mistake of recognizing that as parents, our role changes over time, or not understanding that. Let me repeat that. We can make this mistake of not understanding that our role as parents changes over time. Let me just give you this illustration. Here's how I've always thought about my role as a dad. I think in simple terms, the responsibility of parents kind of falls into two areas, right? Protection and preparation, right? I want... I've wanted to protect my kids, particularly when they're young, but I also want to prepare them. I want to, you know, I've wanted to understand the good news of Christ. I've wanted to prepare them with life skills and what it means to live out their faith and their areas of responsibility. And, and, and so these two dimensions are part of what it means to be a parent. But the truth is, the ratios and the emphasis changes over time. When our kids were little, right, it's all about protection. I got the right car seat. They're buckled in. You know, I know what they're eating. They hold my hand when they cross the street. It's all about protection. But as they get older, it's like a seesaw. As they get older, it becomes more about preparation. I really had to come to grips with this when my kids were seniors in high school because it really dawned on me as we were moving through high school, we we're, going to, we're going to enter a phase where my protection is really coming to an end as they launch into the world. So when my kids were seniors in high school, they all had a, a first period off during their senior year. So just about every week during their senior year, we went out to breakfast and we just talked about life. We talked about everything from money and dating and how, how are you going to start college well to what, is, what, what do you think it means for you to kind of embrace faith as your own and what does that look like? And so we just talked about life. A lot of the conversations weren't that deep, but, but I realized, you know what, I want to start these conversations now because this is what, this is what our relationship is going to look like. Uh, look like moving forward. It's not going to be about protection. It's about preparation. And, and sometimes we do our kids a disservice because we don't, we don't get the reality that this has to change over time and maybe we get stuck here even as our kids are older. Now having said that, let me just be honest with you. I don't think you ever get, you're not always going to get this right. If you pulled Rose and me aside, we could tell you multiple examples where we didn't get it right looking back. Likewise, you know, you know, as two parents, you're not always going to agree as to what this looks like. This can be a source of, of, of conflict in parenting, and just want to acknowledge that as well. But one of the mistakes we can make is not realizing our role needs to change. Because here's what, here's what Paul was saying, right? 
I want you to understand this journey of following Jesus, it taps into every dimension of your life, including your work. And so I want you to, I want you to embrace this well, whatever that looks like for you. And I want you to tap into the resources of, of relationships with other people where, where you can be encouraged at times challenged, where you can see how other people are handling those relationships. And often people that maybe are a little ahead of you in the game and learn from their experience. And also, I, I just want you to develop a perspective as you approach your work where you understand you are deeply loved. So this isn't about working hard to prove yourself, to gain your identity, to make an idol out of work. This is, this is about living out your new identity. And I want you to be deeply rooted in the gospel, and as you're deeply rooted in the gospel, I want you to also under, you to understand you're following the one who has endured for your, on your behalf, and that will, that will affect your path as well. So let me... Let me come back to the question I asked a few moments ago. Right, as we start this new week. This week, what does it look like for you to embrace your responsibilities well? This week, what does it look like for you to embrace your responsibilities well? Let's pray together. Gracious God, it is fascinating as we go through these letters that Paul touches on so many different topics, including even things like our everyday responsibilities, our work, whatever that looks like. And Father, I realize for some of us, maybe we're here, and the truth is somehow we kind of, we kind of we kicked it into neutral, we kind of figured out shortcuts, or, or maybe we fall into that category of quiet quitting. And So I pray that even as we think about Paul's words, that in some sense they would challenge us to say, okay, what, what needs to change? And likewise, I pray that we would be challenged to understand these resources that Paul highlights for us, just being part of a church family where we can learn from one another. And to have a mindset that is deeply rooted in the gospel, but also deeply aware of the endurance of Jesus Christ and how that sets the pace for us in moving forward. So, Father, may we embrace what Paul is getting at in this text. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, I want to thank you for joining us this morning. And as you go, we're going to have members of our prayer team here. And if, if there are ways we can pray with you, even to encourage you and how you're kind of embracing your responsibilities, we would love to do that. So just come forward and we'll, we'll be glad to pray with you right after the service. And so now as you go, my challenge to you this week is to embrace those responsibilities whatever they may be, as a follower of Jesus. Amen.